We're excited this week to have the pitmaster, Rub Bagby from Winter Haven, Florida. We're going to go over some of the competition things that he does, along with the whys and how comes of the vending, his catering, and the reason why he started his rubs and sauce business. Welcome to the Butcher Barbecue Podcast, world headquarters, Wellston, Oklahoma. The Butcher Turned Pitmaster, your host, David Bosca. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast with a, a friend, a three-time winner of the Florida Barbecue Association Team of the Year. He is a rub and sauce retailer. He caters. He does classes in the barbecue world. Just an overall great person and cook. Everybody, I'd like to introduce to you the Pitmaster, Rub Bagby. Thank you, David. I appreciate that very much. Rub, we appreciate you taking time out to chat and talk with us today. Tell us a little bit about your barbecue pedigree. Oh, gosh. Um, I started 16 years ago, just finished up my 16th year. Um, started off with a, was invited to cook with uh, one of the original Florida Barbecue Association teams, the Dixie Boys, um, and the the owner of the team was Joby Stanlin and he was the FBA president at the time. And I started with them as the dishwasher, the grunt, the <laughs> do boy, the, the, the dirty bottom, which is, it's a good place to start. Um, did all the nasty work and, uh, did that for about a year, maybe a little less than a year. And, um, eventually started seeing things that I thought we could maybe improve upon, but, uh, Joby wasn't interested in hearing about that because he had his <laughs> he was set in his ways. So I decided if I'm going to have a chance to see how my ideas work out, I'm going to have to have my own team. So that's what I did and um, entered my first contest was a backyard contest and I won it. It was at Lakeland Pig Fest and I won that and switched right over to the pro side and uh it's been there ever since and just living the barbecue dream that is a big contest to win your first time out i don't care if you're pro or amateur that's that's pretty good credentials yeah that was exciting we just you know like anybody going into their first contest just wanted to get a call and um of course that set the hook really deep <laughs> yeah that first contest that's right what did you do before barbecue or do you still do um well, uh, my my paying job, uh, I just retired from this past May, the end of May. I've been a special ed teacher for 30 years, or I was a teacher for 30 years, just retired about six months ago. So dealing with all the barbecue cooks, it's still kind of the same job, isn't it? Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I kind of, <laughs> there. It's it's just like being at the job. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yep. Well, that's great. Um, let, let, who all's on your team now? Um, by the way, everyone, the team is Swamp Boys Barbecue. Um, I don't know if I'd mentioned that, but who all is on your team? Well, for 90% of the contests uh, or events that I do, it's just me um, when it's just a competition. But when we go out and do vending, which we do about five times a year, um, We've got a, a pretty good-sized team of uh, family and close friends. We've got my, my wife, Amy, my daughter, Jenna, and her fiancé, John, and his parents, John and Patty. And we have uh, longtime teacher friends, 
Tammy and Robin and Woody and we got a whole cast of characters. Oh my. But, yeah. Um, it's, you know, everybody's friends and family and, uh, they get paid as such, <laughs> which helps a <laughs> tremendous amount. And, um, we have a good time. Yeah. So when you started your team, it was to try your own flavors, your own style of cooking. And now that you're, you've got your team, you've been doing it 16 plus years. Sounds like since you're cooking by yourself, self, you're still being the dishwasher. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a lot of work when I go to a contest and everybody out there who's a one man team will, will know exactly what I'm talking about. But, yeah. um, you know, I really, it, it, I had the opportunity to be a, a team of several in the beginning, but um, being a special education teacher and doing that full time during the week, there's, it's, that's kind of taxing on your, on your, uh, on your, not your body, but your mind and, you know, everybody needing something constantly and asking questions constantly, which, you know, that's what you're there for to provide answers and support. But um, when I got to a contest, I used that for it, like my decompression time. I was able to just close the door on the trailer, didn't have to talk to anybody, didn't have to answer any questions, and could just relax. And I, honestly, I think being able to do barbecue competitions helped me make it through 30 years because special ed has a really high turnover rate, especially in the first few years. Most people last maybe three to five years in special ed and um i really think barbecue helped me make to the full 30 and enjoy the full 30 that's i i understand completely what you're saying there my wife has a pretty high stressful job at a hospital and she'll come in of an evening and she'll go out to the bar and she shows miniature horses and some calves with her daughter or her granddaughters and she'll say, I always talk about, well, that's not very profitable. We're not making money on this farm. We're not doing. And she's like, you know, it's cheaper than therapy. Let me have my 30 minutes. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. She gets it. Yep. And I, I understand completely. I do. So what do you cook on? What type of a cooker do you cook? Uh, currently I'm cooking on a, uh, I'm, I'm sponsored by Traeger and I'm cooking on a couple of their timber lines. Um, also sponsored by Sweet Smoke You, and I'm cooking on a couple of his drums. And I also have an old Hickory Ace BP. Um, so I actually, every time I go to a contest, I'm cooking on five pits. Oh, my. Which I don't think probably anybody else is doing that. But no, that's, that's uh, a lot. Yeah. But it's, you know, I enjoy it. I could easily cook on any one of the the styles of pits and do the whole contest, but, um, I'm having fun with it. I enjoy cooking on each one for different reasons. Each, each one, each style, uh, has its strengths. And, um, you know, I, I cook on five because I choose to, not because I have to. So I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So with that in mind at the contest, do you like the flavors of one over another on a certain type of meat? Um, and what I do, I, I'm, I'm not the same as you, but I do have two styles of cookers. They're both pellets, but one's a grill and one's a smoker. I'll start something on one and finish it on another. Do you do stuff like that too? Yeah, I have been. Um, you know, it's I've learned, as many others have over the, I don't know, past recent five years or so, 
that um, cooking the hot and fast right over the charcoal or the fire, I should say, um, produces a flavor that you just can't, it's super hard to replicate anywhere else. Um, so I've been doing that, uh, just to get that. It's kind of like, I kind of refer to it as an old school pit barbecue thing. And actually I'm pretty sure you're touched in on it with, uh, your grill seasoning or injection. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's kind of what I'm going for. Um, and as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, wow, I could do this a lot easier by just injecting some curl into my stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm the same way, especially the two meats that I switch back and forth. One is my chicken and one is my, I'm sorry, my ribs and my brisket. Um, I like the flavor of the ribs coming off the pellet grill first. And it's an open fl- fire and how we cook that. And then I finish it once I wrap it in the, um, smoker, the FE smoker. And then the brisket's the same way. I start it for a couple, three hours out on the grill also for that very reason. So I get it. I understand that. So thinking with that in mind on a contest, let's say the first of the year you're, you're getting ready. Well, let me rephrase that. We call first of the year around January, the rest of the country, Florida pretty well, cooks year-round. Is that correct or incorrect? Uh, That's true. We slow down tremendously during the um, summer months just because nobody wants to go out in that, and and festivals just aren't real popular because it's just too hot. Okay. But we we do cook year-round, and our season ends in December and starts in January. For the um, points Points. chasing? Okay. So, yeah. So, there is a little bit of what I – okay. That in mind, um, let's say towards the end of a year, you see something not really hitting hard or, or the flavors aren't where you want it. Um, and you've tried other people's food and you're like, man, they're hitting and I'm not, and I'm not like that. What is your process whenever you go to, uh, adjust a recipe, tweak it? Do you test cook around the house? Do you do it at a contest? What's your, your way of thinking? Well, that's a good question. And in the past, up you know, while I was uh, employed as a teacher, I didn't really have time to do any test cooks. My only barbecuing, per se, was at a contest. So if I wanted to make changes, I did it slowly and methodically over the process of a few contests. Now that um, I'm retired and I have more time, I... I haven't started doing it yet, but I think I really need to start doing some test cooks at home. Um, you know, I've got the time, I've got the resources. So, uh, I think I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to, I don't know. I haven't figured out my plan or process yet, but, um, test cooks are definitely on my horizon. We've got, you know, we've got pig chick a cow cow down here. who just decimated the field all year long. And, um, he's gotta be stopped. So I'm going to take it upon myself to help try and stop them. Yeah. Well, we all have that fun rivalry between every one of us. And we, we love to see the next one pull in because there's going to be a new team on the horizon all the time. Um, I mean, good gracious. We were all the new team at one point. So, and when we all was hitting it hard and heavy and that's what they were saying about us. So, I think the longevity is uh, one thing about barbecue competitions is it's, it's not a sprint. It's, it's, 
it's it's a long old marathon and it's just what you do throughout the whole year and it takes some dedication yeah that's exactly right i know you've cooked um different styles of cooking with the different organizations uh what's some of the different ones you have cooked um as far as sanctioning bodies yes um i fba kcbs and I believe I've done the steak cook-offs, SCA. You've done any but, Georgia's? Uh, that's it. you done any of the Georgia's? No, I haven't. No. Um, okay. I haven't. I've, I've, I think I may give that a try this coming year, but um, I haven't. I, I don't have a whole lot of practice or experience with pork loins, but um, I think I'm going to give that a try. So which one do you think? I, I would assume that it's probably the FBA you've mastered that you're probably is your favorite uh, organization to cook at? Um, you know, you would think that, but I, I like KCBS equally. Um, and actually my scores, you know, on a percentage basis are, I probably score higher consistently on KCBS than I do FBA. Um, they're both fun. You know, if I do KCBS several in a row, uh, I get in a good groove with the, the quicker turn in times because FBA is an hour break. Um, but then, you know, when a, an FBA does come up, it's like, oh, gosh, thank goodness I can slow down. And I don't have to build those garnish boxes. <laughs> so but uh, and then, you know, when I and the other way, when I go from FBA, a long stretch of those to a KCBS, it kind of amps me up and I get energized and it's like, all right, here we go. It's going to be the fastest hour and a half in barbecue kind of a thing. Yeah. So explain to everyone what the real differences in the two are. You alluded to the garnish and the turn-ins, but what, what do you do different? I'm not wanting times, methods, anything special or, or, or private for organization to organization. Um, what is the difference in the, the way that they ask the judges to judge what they ask the cooks to cook the, how they want the cooks to present it? Um, what, what are the real differences? Uh, that's a good question. It comes up a bunch. Um, flavor wise, I do everything exactly the same. Um, wherever I go with whatever group I'm cooking with, uh, the presentation is, in, in my opinion, as an FDA cook, it's a little bit easier in KCBS. Um, sure, it's a pain to build the boxes for most of us anyway, for me, for sure, um, to build the, the garnish part of it. But then once you have that done, the actual boxing of the meat goes really quickly um, compared to an FBA. With FBA, even though we, we don't, we're not allowed to use garnish, we use extra meat as the garnish. So whereas you would have a, a bed of lettuce or parsley to put your chicken on, um, a lot of teams will use cook extra thighs and chop up extra thigh meat and make a bed of thigh meat to put your thighs on. Um, same for pulled pork instead of a, or, you know, for your pork entry, instead of a bed of greenery, we'll put down a bed of pulled pork. Um, and it can be the same for brisket. The only thing you can't do it in is ribs because ribs, the, the meat has to be on the bone. You can't have any off the bone meat. Okay. But, um, 
with that question, that brings up yeah. in KCBS how they instruct the judges is if it's in the box, we ask that you taste it like burn-in sliced brisket, sliced pork, pulled pork, um, chicken thigh, chicken drum, or and or chicken breast. Are do you know? Are the judges judging your your bed, or are they only judging the, the present presented meat? Uh, the the saying is, if it's in the box, it can be judged. Um, it doesn't. They're not required to to take part of the bed of the meat, or you know. I guess technically, I don't think I've not taken the judging class, but I don't think they're required to take you know one of everything. I'm pretty sure they're strongly encouraged to, but I don't know that they're required to. Okay. That, that. I was just, that made me think because we do 98% all KCBS and the only other ones around here that we have tried is the IBCA out of Texas. That's the reason I was asking is, is there, theirs is a zero garnish of nothing. They'll issue you a piece of foil and that'll go in the bottom of the box, but not anything comes out of your cooker can be your bed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. With uh, with that, is there are there tricks to using the foil, or you just literally lay it in there? They have their own. It's 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 just like anything else. It originally was okay. Here's a piece of foil. Um, put it in your box, and people got to molding the foil into the bottom and making it real pretty. And then they were like, "Wait a minute, how do we know that?" your aunt doesn't know that's how you fold the corners and really made it neat. And then they said, no, just lay it in, press it in meat goes on top. And they even distinguish okay. which direction the ribs have to lay in there. Bones, one direction, meat, another briskets have to be huh. from this side to this side. That way there is no way to determine whose meat is in that box. Um, and some good ideas. I kind of like that. Oh yeah, there. I don't get me wrong. I I've always enjoyed doing them. It's just not enough around where I'm at that I can get efficient enough at it. Just like you with uh, when you cook one of the others. Um, so, but right. th there's tricks to all of it. Um, now they're allowing you to do a little folding and and putting it back down in there a little more. Um, and this, gosh, it's just like cooking any contest. The more you do, the better you get at it. Um, there's are, mm -hmm. and according to how many cooks are in it, will determine how far apart your turn-ins are. If they are an hour or an hour and a half or two hours from turn-ins, I know there's been some changes this last year on that. And like I said, I'm not efficient enough to say these are the rules, but I know that it's always been, if there's 50 in it, hundred or 150, it'll change turn-in times. So that's always mm. something you got to stay on top of. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, with the that, is there any other major changes? I mean, what about the turning times or the or the types of meat that you cook? Yeah, um, so the the categories are all the same, and they're typically in the same order: chicken ribs, pork, and brisket. Uh, we have a one hour between turning times, so we start with chicken at eleven, and then twelve, one, and two, and we have the same. Uh, five minute or 10 minute window five minutes prior and five minutes after with a zero tolerance on extra seconds um there's a different count we have to for fba it's a minimum of eight servings or 
pieces or whatever, enough enough in the box for eight judges. Um, whereas KCBS is six. Um, and I think that plus the fact that we sometimes use the meat as a garnish um, is part of what makes up a little bit more challenging because uh, you have to have more meat that is right on target as opposed to, um, you know, I've kind of figured out for me personally in KCBS in the beginning, I was turning in FDA type boxes, which not, not with meat garnish, but with extra pieces and nice big full boxes. And um, I learned over a period of a year or two that those just weren't really appreciated by the judges as much as a, a six or a seven sample entry was. So I've started uh, really knocking down my, my quantity of turn-in meat for KCPS, which means I don't have to cook as much meat to, to be able to get this, you know, a, a smaller amount of high-quality product to turn in. So especially for chicken, that's kind of, you know, I've, I've seen teams in FBA, especially newer teams, cook 24, 36 thighs. I'm like, oh, my God, who's got time for all that prep and watching all that stuff? Um, so, you know, now I've got it down to about 14 pieces. But uh, at a KCBS contest, I kind of have fun and challenge myself and see how few I can do to turn in six. And I've got it down to about eight pieces I'll prep <laughs> and cook just I, to, to see how streamlined I can get it. Yeah, I, I cooked 10 pieces of chicken, and I thought I was pretty light. Um, and I cooked 10 because that's what fits in the pan. I promise you, if I could, if I found a pan that I liked that held eight, I would probably go with eight. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of fun to challenge yourself and see how you know how good you can nail those eight. And I think the the fewer pieces you cook with chicken or ribs or whatever, uh, for me anyway, the better what I do cook turns out. You know, give it more time and love and attention. Yeah, I I cook one brisket per contest, and I know that for years I cooked two. But that's back when everybody was cooking prime briskets, and that's what I was cooking. And so I could do two briskets. But when everybody went into the Wagyu world, man, no, I went to one, and I've just you just have to perfect that one brisket. Yeah, yeah, it's it's too expensive to cook multiple Wagyu briskets. Yeah. Well, okay, you was cooking barbecue. You done that a long time. Did you start vending? next or did you start with your rubs and sauces um it was definitely vending and um you know believe it or not going back to the very beginning you know when i first hooked up with the dixie boys and i was the the grunt um and my wife was you know she saw that i was really enjoying it and we talked about it and she said sure you know you can do it i see you having fun and enjoying it um but you know we're going to have a rule and the rule was that uh none of our monthly income or our regular job income was going to go towards barbecuing and she's a teacher yep. also so we're both teachers and we're unfortunately central florida is one of the lowest paying areas in the country so we didn't have extra money for barbecue so if i was going to do it i had to earn the money on the side, you know, figure out a way to, to make money to go out and do barbecue stuff. And 
while I was with the Dixie Boys, it didn't really cost me anything. But once I started on my own, you know, it's it's not cheap to, to fund a team. So um, I started out by pre-selling pork by the pound to teachers on Friday. And I would start cooking it at my house on Thursday night. This was before I realized how easy it was to hold pork for hours and hours. <laughs> but uh, I had a little Weber Smoky Mountain, and I would load that up with pork butts and start cooking Thursday night, and it'd still be cooking Friday morning. So I'd put it in the back of my pickup truck and drive 15 miles to work with the smoker going in the back of my truck. And <laughs> when uh, my planning period planning period came up, I class or at school on friday i'd go out and i'd pull the butts and break them down and put them into one pound bags and deliver them to the teachers and you know maybe net 50 or 75 bucks for the day and i would do that week after week and and stockpile my pennies and until i was able to get enough to go do a contest and you know in the beginning i'd go out and do the contest get my ass kicked and come back home and start all over again yeah so, that that is for great. a while yeah it's uh it's it's had to fund itself from the beginning and i've actually uh for one contest up in south carolina it was the greenwood contest i used to do that a long time ago i actually fended it while i was doing the case abuse competition by myself Ooh, that's got to be rough yeah that, that was a one and done <laughs> <laughs> i had I had been saving my, my extra turn in meat for, I don't know, um, several contests. So I had all the meat pre-cooked and I warmed it up once I got out there. And then I set up a uh, self-service vending counter. And I said, I had a sign that said, here's the buns, here's the meat, make yourself a big sandwich. There's the sauce, there's a cooler of drinks down there. And then I had some prices and I had a plastic jug chained to my table with a lid on it and i said it's on the honor system put your money in there and hope you enjoy the sandwich and i hope i get enough gas money to get home <laughs> <laughs> that is great i love that at the at the end of the contest you know i i had figured that i probably had enough product to get about 300 dollars in my jug and at the end of the contest i had over 500 dollars in there people were just super generous and nobody cheated me and oh people overpaid for stuff and it was the best thing ever but i never did it again i was fixing to ask that very same thing did you try it twice <laughs> no I, I counted my blessings with that one and said okay i'm never trying that because between turn-in times i'd between turn-ins i'd notice that the meat was running out so i'd have to grab some real quick and take it out there and put it in and then go back into my trailer or anybody could ask me a question about anything. It was a mess. Yeah, you, you're leaving out, and you're like, "Oh, I got three minutes. I got time to to set this out of the camera." And then you're like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I'll answer your question. I got a minute and a half. I got to go." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was yeah. fun though. So, what kind of now that you you've got a small team, small crew, whatever you want to call them, working with you in the vending, what kind of items? do you put on your menu for, for that? Okay. Let's back up a minute before we decide that. Um, what kind of events do you try to vent? Um, fairs, contest? Um, well, I, I don't know. Tell me, tell me what kind of, um, areas you go to vent. Well, right now, uh, the ones we do, are the ones that are, we look for a couple of things first, they're going to, they're always 
or I shouldn't say always. In the beginning, we included, you know, downtown bike rallies and stuff like that. But now it's it's all competition, contest-based vending. And um, we have two KCBS contests that are real close to home. Yes, within 45 minutes, the Plant City Pig Jam and Lakeland Pig Fest. And those are both good for vending. Um, and then we have my hometown contest here in Winter Haven is an FBA contest. And uh, we've been that, and it's got a really good turnout, usually 20,000 or more. Um, and then we do one or two others that are close to home. Um, we try to look for ones that also are very well run and have a large public turnout. Uh, there's some others that are close by, but they just don't get the turnouts that would uh, make it feasible for us to be a vendor at. Yeah, so to justify your time, your cruise time, make enough profit to pay them, pay for the food, and still say, hey, we made X dollars. So that that's your criteria pretty well. And right now, since you're traveling to a contest, that makes sense that you can go do that and let the, let Amy and the, and the crew go take care of the, the vending. Right. Um, you know, when, when we are vending, especially now that I'm retired, I get in, well, I, I don't have to take time off of work obviously, but, um, I get in Thursday and I do the whole site setup, which takes me a couple hours and, um, start the cooking I, I'm still even though I got a crew I do all the cooking for the vending because they're, they're they're there for the selling part that time frame and then they're gone so I'm when, when we're vending I'm cooking for the the thousands plus the six judges yeah so it's that part gets tiring but um we just had a contest um in Lake Wales which is just close by where we live and where I was born. Beautiful venue. Um, it's probably in its fifth or sixth year. And we vended it each year. And um, this year, it was our first time where um, it just didn't, it wasn't feasible. You know, I get in there and I put in probably 30 hours of work in, over the weekend just for vending. And um, I don't know what it was, but the crowds just didn't show up and we didn't break even until... Well, we stayed late to break even on Saturday night, so it was it was a wash, and that's the first time in probably 14 years of vending that we've had that happen. Wow! Hopefully, yeah. the last time. Yeah, that's exactly. A lot of work for no money. So, is that reason you're still vending is to help offset and um, go compete, or has that become an yeah. entity of itself? Well, it's. For the, for the beginning, probably the first five years, it, it definitely made it easier to compete. Um, but um, I was, I've been really blessed. Once, once I started getting the knack of the barbecue thing and competing and stuff, um, probably the last seven to ten years, I've made more money barbecuing than I did as a teacher with 25 or 30 years of experience. So, sad um, but understood it, yeah yeah so it it wasn't so much of a necessity to be able to continue to compete um as it was just trying you know we've got a daughter in college and we were fortunate to be able to pay off our house and pay some bills and and um as you know it takes money to to grow the 
business and the product side of barbecue. So it's, it's good to have it for that as well. Yeah. So what kind of a menu do you roll with your vending? Seeing how you're doing, let's be real, it's, it's walk-up. Um, people need to be able to sit down or hand carry it. So what kind of an items do you have? Do you do the traditional sandwich or do you do something completely different? Well, we do. We keep our menu really pretty basic. Um, we have the pulled pork sandwich. We have ribs. And the other item that we do that um, we're kind of famous for is our barbecue sundae. And I wish I could say I invented it, but I definitely know I brought it to Florida. I saw it originally when I was with the Dixie Boys. We were competing up in Georgia. And um, that was probably 15 years ago. 16 years ago and it's a it's a clear cup we use a 16 ounce cup with baked beans in the bottom of it and coleslaw in the middle and you top it off with pulled pork and then drizzle it with uh, our barbecue sauce which you know you think of that as being like the hot fudge on a sundae and um, it turns out to be a meal in a cup and yeah we my wife handles the sides and she does the baked beans from scratch and she shreds the cabbage at school with her kids. And uh, so it's really good to, you know, the beans and the slaw are excellent additions to the pulled pork. And um, that's, that's probably one of our more popular items. You know, it's, it's like a meal in a cup and um, very tasty. Yeah. So they can walk around, carry it in one hand and eat with the other and they don't have to try to manage a plate in any wind or anything. That's, that's, that's great idea right there. Do you do any catering? I do. Um, we're, I, I haven't started advertising for it yet because I'm technically not hundred percent legal. We have everything in place, but the license, yeah. um, we got the serve safe, uh, we got the insurance, we got, you know, everything we need except for the actual license. And that's, one of the things I'm working on now is getting that in place. And I've also been knocking around the idea of a very, very part-time food truck kind of a thing. I don't want to be one of the ones, you know, I don't need to make a living at it, but I'd love to be able to do it once every week or two and go out and make some extra cash doing that. Yeah. I like the whole thought process, do a little catering, a little competition, uh, a little vending, um, all of it together will subsidize um, the retirement fund, you know? Definitely. You, yeah, you're not trying to make a, a – who? Want, yeah, everybody wants to hit a home run in one area, but let's be real. There's a lot of times at bat that you don't, so let's just make a little bit as we go. Um, with your catering, you you've probably have thought about it. I know it would be barbecue-based, but are you looking at also some specialty type items with it to where someone says, Hey, can you do, um, Oh my gosh, I'm trying to think here, rack of lambs or maybe some, um, special ribs, uh, cowboy, this, maybe a steak. You're not just sticking with traditional barbecue or are you, or are you? No, we're, um, with our catering, you know, we're, we're not going to be able to go out and do Italian or anything like that, not do it well anyway. Right. But yeah, anything that's, uh, could be live fire cooked or prepped, you know, I've done prime rib, uh, we've done steaks, things like that. 
um, we're open for all that and any of the sites we can handle, we can do really well with that. So yeah, we're, um, you know, I, when I'm, when I'm catering and I, I'll tell people right up front or in a nice way or a tactful way that if you're looking for a bargain, I'm not going to be your guy, but if, if you want to look like a genius at your party or your event for who you hired for the food, then that's who I am. I'm that guy. I'll make you look like a superstar for, for bringing in the, the top food guy. So, and I charge, you know, it's, it's not inexpensive and I'm, I'll let them know that, you know, it's uh, I'm shopping for you. I'm cooking for you. I'm going to give up several days for you. And, um, but you're going to get some excellent food in return. That's for exactly the way I think a lot of competition guys have gotten into the catering. Um, and they'll tell people, if you're looking for the $7 a plate brown bag special, um, go down to XYZ. That's, that's what they are. But if you want a nice meal for 30 to 70 people, 100 people, whatever your volume is, but if you want a nice meal that you can be proud of and and have the whole, say, a wedding party be very happy when they walk away, I'm your guy. That That sounds exactly the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, and it's a shame when some, and we talk about this in my class when, um, about catering and vending and stuff, you don't want to be known as the cheapest person out there. That's, that's not, you know, your, your time and your expertise and your experience is worth a lot more than the chain barbecue restaurants can offer. And you need to, you know, respect yourself and respect your craft and your talents and, and charge accordingly. I'm not saying you got to rip people off. Of course not, but charge what you're worth. And um, They're paying for more than the food when it comes to that. This is something that we have, we explain and teach in a lot of our classes also. And something I've raised my son knowing is they're paying for experience. And the way we've always said with the meat cutting, the more experiences you've been in, the more situations you've been in, the more you know what to do. So they're paying for those situations that may not come up, but if it does come up, you know how to handle it so that they still have the right event. Um, exactly. And then that's what, that's exactly, it sounds like how you've, you're selling it. And I, I really like that, that approach of it. That's, that's great. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm not the only one pushing that mindset out there. So that's, <laughs> no, that's good. I don't think so. And you brought up something you brought up something earlier about hitting the home run and that's something else that I talk about in my classes. Um, when questions of vending come up, they go, well, how do you know how much food to take? And how, you know, stuff like that. And we talk about what past attendance has been like and how organizers can, uh, inflate the, the number of people who are going to be there and, try to find people who have been there and have experience bending it. And, and the bottom line I tell them is don't go out there trying to make a killing, trying to hit a grand slam at any one event, you know, be, be prepared for it, but have a, have a realistic number in mind, have a goal in mind, you know, say I want to sell 500 sandwiches and, and a hundred racks of ribs and, and plan on selling out, you know, as close to you can, as close to the quitting time as you can. And, you know, for me, example, I, I don't have anywhere to store extra food. I just have a home refrigerator. So 
I don't want to bring food home. So I always plan on, you know, what can I sell comfortably on a, on a Saturday, be able to cover all my costs, make some money, but not put myself in a bad position where I've got wasted food and, and stuff like that. So yeah, the grand slam is not, not on my radar. And I kind of get people, new people to, um, realize you don't have to hit a grand slam to be successful with it. That's right. It's a, it's a slow growth. And as they see you at this contest vending and then the next one, they're going to go, Oh, I had that Sunday over there. I'm going back over there to get my food over time. It definitely grows. And then, then you'll increase what your expectations and what you cook. And before long, you're, you're real close to what you would have called a grand slam when you started. And it's just daily operation now. Yeah, yeah, but it, and it's but it's a more uh, practiced and uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it's controlled, it's informed. It's an informed grand slam. You don't just go out there wildly guessing. Yeah, you, know, you do it based on history and experience. Yeah. Okay. We've done the the vending. We've done the competition. We also know that you were as a big guest and a pitmaster on the TV show Barbecue Pitmasters. Um, how many, how many of those did you do? We did two episodes. We, we won our first episode, went to the, I guess, semi-final round and lost it on the dreaded meatloaf. Oh, I never lived that long. I was getting ripped about that this past weekend. <laughs> Sorry, I brought it up. No. <laughs> um, have you have you been approached for any other uh, publicity, TV, local, national, anything? Uh, no, not really. I the, think um, I think that may have been my one and done. Like, what do they say? You got a face for radio. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why I'm doing this podcast, folks. I have got a face <laughs> for radio. That is no joke. Mm -hmm. There's not been a lot of. TV publicity with barbecue. There's been some one-offs and a few here and there, but I, I know there's not been many. I didn't know if there was a, um, anything local that they had brought in and asked um, Swamp Boys to be a part of. That so no, not not much happened in that realm. Yeah. Okay. So we've we've touched there. The vending probably helped with it, um, but you've also started or not started, you have had sauces, your own rubs. Tell us about why, why again, you wanted to distribute your, your sauces and rubs. Well, that's another good question. In the beginning, I didn't want to, um, because it was kind of my little secret and it was helping me a lot. You know, of course not in the beginning of my career, but once I started doing well, um, a, a good, majority of it was based on the, the rock and the sauce that I was using. And, um, I didn't really want to share it. I'm thinking, well, shoot, everybody can get it and everybody can beat me. And, um, so I was hesitant, but I just kept getting a lot and a lot of requests for the sauce was the original, uh, request. And, um, I thought about it, talked about it with my wife and, um, realized or came to the, the conclusion that, well, if we can sell enough of it, it will help offset, you know, where I'm not going to have the competitive edge on people anymore and 
maybe not win quite as much, but at least, you know, we'll sell some sauce and, you know, make some money that way. Um, so finally decided to go ahead and take it to market and did. And um, kind of early on, actually before anything was actually bottled, I had the mindset of I wasn't going to cater and sell just to the barbecue competition world because that's that's a pretty small uh, demographic in the big picture. I wanted something that was going to be appealing to the general masses, to the, the grocery store shoppers and stuff. So I've had that in mind pretty much from the beginning. And even though I love it when barbecue teams buy and use and win, beat me with my sauce, my rub, um, my big win is, is when I can grow it out in the general population. Yeah. So is with your label in mind, um, the bottles, um, I know you've went through a couple different styles of bottles. Was that all part of your marketing plan or is that just because the plant that manufactures it for you, this is what they offer and it just happened to work out to be unique and different? No. Um, in the beginning, I wanted the, the mason jar look for the sauce. And, um, you know, that's what we have our, well, we have a pint size and a quart size and they're both glass. And that was what everything was offered in, in the beginning. Well, except for the bootleg red actually came in a little flask looking thing, or it still does. But, um, that was by choice. And then, um, it's kind of evolved and a lot of, you know, since there's so much online retailing and I've got a, a pretty good number of online retailers and they, and I realize the same thing when you're shipping glass, you know, there's, <laughs> unfortunately there's a pretty good chance it's going to break no matter how good you bubble wrap it. Yeah. Um, so they were kind of saying, you know, what do you think about plastic? What do you think about plastic? So we, we offered it or switched to plastic um, for all of our online retailers, but um, I'm, I've been picked up by a national distributor. Um, Publix is one of their main stores, and Publix prefers it in the glass. So we actually manufacture it in both glass and plastic. And anybody can have either one, but Publix predominantly takes all the glass, and everybody else takes the plastic. That's interesting. Yeah. So your your bottles are there because of that's what that was offered, but your marketing, you did think of that. What did you also do for marketing? Did you do anything, I should ask? Um, when Let's say, hey, I'm placing my first order. I got this coming in. Where did it go to? You, you've already said you don't have a kitchen per se. You got a garage. Um, did you ship it? Did you have a friend that has a... Uh, forklift that can help you get things unloaded and ship. How did you get started in your distribution? Well, um, we have my, first of all, my bottler, my packer is hot Wachula's Matt Barber. Okay. Yep. And that's what he does for his day job. And, um, fortunately he's just 10 miles away from me and I'm actually going over there after we get off the phone. <laughs> so, yeah. He's got the plant, he's got the forklift, he's got the, the warehouse and kitchen, uh, and he makes everything for me. 
um, bottles it. And then for my larger wholesale orders that go out on pallets, he's able to put those together and shrink wrap them and, and line up the shipping, you know, the, the semi that comes there and picks it up. And he handles all that for me. He also does all that for the uh, my Publix orders. You know, when they buy pallets, it's stuff like that. Oh, well, that's... Uh, for our smaller... Yeah. For our smaller wholesale orders um, that don't ship on a pallet, my wife and I handle all that. We have a an online store, and um, you know it's 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 small, but it's it keeps us out there and busy. But um, we will ship pretty much anything in a case quantity to our wholesalers, and we do that ourselves. You know, be it on their account with UPS or our USPS account. So we'll handle that. And and I've got a fair amount of stores that are close to me locally. And I'll to later on today, I'm going to be out delivering sauce to them in person. Yeah. So um, that's what I was really wanting the listeners to hear is there's not one right way to do anything. You don't have to have a giant warehouse. Um, most all large businesses start in garages. Um, you are very fortunate um, to have one 10 minutes from your house, 10 miles from your house, but you still pick up the phone, call, ship, box here, box there. You still still are in the trenches with all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and the more of that you can do, you know, you it's like anything. If it's important to you and you want to grow it, you got to put in the work. And, um yeah, if, if you think you're going to get into it and just have somebody handle everything for you, you know, you can do that, but it's going to eat away at a lot of your your profits. You can't be afraid to get out there and deliver and pick up and, you know, do the grunt work. That's exactly right. Every time someone touches it, they're going to put their own charge on it. Um, so yeah. you have to live with or understand that your margins are going to be here because I'm going to give them 10% because I don't want to mess with it. Or I've got plenty of time. I'm going to keep that 10% and it's less than my cost is if I do it myself. So Right, exactly. So you've competed. You made a little bit there. You've started your vending, made a little bit there. Working a little bit on the catering, made a little bit there. You've started some, you do your sauces. There's dry rubs in that mix also. Um, you're making a little bit there. Classes. Now, you are very well known for putting on a nice, high-end, very well-respected competition barbecue class how many of those do you try to do a year or do you want to do more a year well first of all thank you for saying that. i appreciate that um i it's pretty much uh demand based but with that said the, the demand is usually about three times a year um usually uh winter spring and fall We'll do one, maybe sometimes summer, but again, here in Florida, it, it can be brutal. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's demand-based, and uh, yeah. So so if someone says, hey, when's your next class? Like, shoot me an email. I'll save you email, and when I get 15, 20, 30 people, we'll uh, let everyone know. Is that kind of how you operate that? 
Yeah, it, it kind of, you know, I'll, I'll usually you, you get emails, you get questions, you get phone calls, and when's it going to be in? And I'll usually start by saying, well, probably sometime in the early fall. And then, um, then as I get more and more asking for my next class, I'll, I'll gather a list and then I'll start looking at dates and I'll email the list and say, Hey, what do you guys think about this date? Or, you know, I'll give a choice of two dates and the date that has the most possible attendees is what we'll go with. And then we'll book it from there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. Um, a lot of, I, I count on a lot of word of mouth, count on, you know, a lot of social media to get the word out there. Of course, I got my website that people can subscribe to to keep updated with stuff. I think a lot of it also is the integrity that you've had in the cooking, the competition, the, everything you've done with that, the quality of name that uh, Rub Bagby has. People will understand or know that when he says, I'm going to have a class, they know what they're going to get. It's going to be the real thing. It's going to be, this is what wins. Um, we're going to go over, go a little bit over what you do go over, but I'm sure it's, it's standard what everybody does, but they understand that this is already tried and true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's to me, you know, I've taken one class in my life or in my barbecue life. And it was with Kevin Bevington of homebbq.com who um, I felt very fortunate to just induct him into the Hall of Fame. This I was fixing an anchor in the FBA and KCBS world for folks that didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, so I, I had his class many, many years ago. Uh, a lot of the things that I learned there, I still use today. But um, in my class, it's, it's, um, it, it's for backyards. It's for people who never want to compete. It's for people who are getting ready to go to the Jack for the first time to compete. You know, I've had people who are going on barbecue pit masters come and take my class to try to pick up a few extra things. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it's the more, you know, or the less, you know, the more you're going to learn, uh, the more, you know, you're going to learn fewer things, but you're going to learn some quality things that, uh, will help give you that extra edge. But we go over everything from um, what to look for in meats when you when you're shopping, uh, different grades and qualities and marbling and stuff like that. Size. Um, we go through trimming the meats, of course, uh, injections, marinades, rubs, everything to do to the meat before uh, you start cooking. And then, of course, we talk about different styles of cookers and my class is basically a, a techniques class. So I'm not teaching you how to cook on a, a Traeger or a, or a drum cooker or an old hickory. I'm teaching you how to cook on any pit and, and make these techniques work for your pit. Cause you know, basically barbecue is, is adding smoke, adding color, getting tenderness. And that's pretty much it. And you can do that with just about any pit. Yeah, it's um, airflow and heat. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's not pit specific, um, but we're, we're doing all that. We're doing talking about finished temperatures. And, of course, even more important than that is the way things feel when, when you know they're finished or when they're not quite finished. Um, sauces and flavor profiles. 
I'll, you know, people say, well, I want to know what wins. I said, well, I'll be happy to tell you some things that'll win. Um, you know, I'm sure you could, any of us could name off 10 or 15 combinations of rubs and sauces that can win any contest any given day. Um, and I'm happy to cover that, but I think as important and more importantly is learn how to get your tenderness and, um, learn how to get flavors that complement each other and, and I'm not offending to any judges, you know, just good, straight, middle of the road, flavorful, tender products. That's exactly right. Um, so if you've got someone that wants to sign up and they cook only in the backyard and they're trying to be the block party winner of the ribs, they're going to get something out of this, no doubt. If they already are a six-time FBA champion this year, they're going to go in and they might pick up a nugget, uh, uh, a method, a trick, and go, that's what changed my chicken back a, two weeks ago, and not realize it till they hear someone else say it. But the rest of it may be elementary to them, but it's still worth it on both aspects because they, they're going to take something from the class. Exactly. There's one example, and I can't get too specific with it because it's it's still something that I do in class. But um, a a a guy who was going to be on barbecue pitmasters said, you know, I want to come take a class. I think we're going to be. Of course, you don't know exactly what you're doing, but we boned up on all four. And um, then during the episode, uh, Rod Gray, Pellet Envy, was doing some live tweeting during the episode and uh, he saw something on the TV show that he didn't see while he was competing next to the guy. And he goes, Oh my God, I just learned something about ribs that I didn't know, you know, by watching my, my uh, competitor here. And that happened to be something that the guy picked up in my class. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. my, my phone blew up during that episode from all the people at my who had been at that class and said, Oh my God, he just showed that thing on TV <laughs> that you said that you taught us. And I said, well, that's why he came here was to learn little stuff like that. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. But yeah, it's, it's exactly stuff like that. You know, it's, you're not going to learn a brand new process for inventing the wheel, but you're going to learn how to, to make it just a little bit better or improve on something. Make that wheel fit your cart. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we do something here on this podcast at the, oh, well, let's first do this. I should have done this right at the front. How did the name Swamp Boys come around? <laughs> I get that a lot, especially since I'm majority of one-man team. Exactly. That's why um, it had me intrigued. <laughs> it's, uh, and I look back at it now and it makes me laugh every time I talk about it, but, um, it, you know, when I was with the Dixie Boys and, and thinking about stuff, and I remember I was sitting in church on a Sunday, and I should have been paying attention, but instead I was trying to think of a barbecue <laughs> team. <laughs> and I went to the University of Florida, who is the Florida Gators, and they play, they call the field the Swamp. And I wanted something uh, tied in with that, but, you know, we're a big three or four university state, and I also thought, well, if, if I eventually want to start catering and selling to people, you know, I don't want to turn off three or four of the 
or three out of four of my customers because yep. I'm I'm making it obvious Florida Gators. So I thought if I kind of went sideways and and called it, or you know, went with something swamp based, you know, because Florida's kind of swampy and whatever. And and the boys came from the Dixie Boys. I wanted to give a nod to Joby and my original team. And at first I was thinking, okay, well I'll, I'll be the Swamp Boy. And I thought, well shoot, if a if a large company wants to hire me to cater and they think it's just a one-man team, they're going to think I can't handle it and I'll never get considered. So I added an S to the end to make it look like we were a big, badass team. <laughs> Fake it till you make it, baby. Boys. Yeah. That <laughs> is awesome. Boys came from. Oh, yeah. I love it. Well, okay. Where I was going with this is every podcast we – we will take, you know, here in my warehouse, I have a whole bunch of injection um, needles. I have injected you with a podcast truth serum. I'm going to ask you a, a couple questions. <laughs> you have to answer them truthfully. All right. Now we're fixing oh, to see how good you are at this. What was the last movie you went to see in a theater? Oh, man. <laughs> It's not something I do a bunch. Oh, I know what it was. It was um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or whatever it's called. Oh, the new one? The, the one new... about, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's cool. I, I When I was writing this down, I had to stop and think for myself, and I hate to say it, but it was about three Star Wars movies back was the last one I went and seen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, think of this as I say it, and... Are you a sock, sock, shoe, shoe person? Or are you a sock, shoe, sock, shoe person? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I'm mostly a flip-flop person. <laughs> but I, uh, when I had to go to work and I had to put on shoes and socks, I was a sock, sock, shoe, shoe guy. <laughs> All right. But All now right. I'm... I've been trying to see how long I'm going to go without wearing proper shoes. Now <laughs> that I'm retired. Yeah. <laughs> All right. There, you got just a little bit still flowing through your, your blood. So let's, let's get this for the kidneys. Clean it out. Are you an iPhone or an Android person? Oh, iPhone. Sure. iPhones. I'm with you there. All right. Do you play a lot I of games? Huh? No, I don't. I'm not a gamer at all. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. I, I grew up kind of in the country and we were outside constantly so i don't even particularly care to watch tv that much yeah i i've got the i'm an iphone person and i, I my grandkids will say you got any games on it nope i ain't got a game one on mine i'm with you so <laughs> yeah. well, Rub, i really appreciate the time this has been a real fun one um tell everybody where they can find you um keep up with you everything like that well we uh i have a website swampboys.com um, on Facebook, you can find me personally, Rub Bagby. Um, I've got Swamp Boys uh, barbecue sauces and rub. I've got stuff like that. Um, I think on Instagram, it's at Swamp Boys BBQ. On Twitter, I believe it's the same thing. I'm not real good at Twitter, but um, I'm getting better at Instagram. But anyway, yeah, that's pretty much, if you Google Swamp Boys and BBQ, you should find me pretty much wherever we might be. All right, Rub, we appreciate it. And everybody, if you're in the Florida area or if you're traveling down there anyway, 
look up his website, see if he's got a class coming up, see what you can pick up. Um, if you're not traveling to Florida, um, heck, see if you can buy a plane ticket. I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be well worth it. Um, Rub, I appreciate the time that you've given to this. We'll let you get on the road and deliver your, your sauces. And I want to tell everybody with this podcast, um, be sure and, and subscribe to it so you can be alert every time a new one comes out. Smash that subscribe button and be ready for Butcher's next podcast.